Okay, we are in Revelation, and we just finished 11 last time, and that was the uh, seventh trumpet. And so now we're in 12, and 12 starts with a, with a connective. So it starts, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. I see that as a continuation of chapter 11. So if you go back to chapter 11:19, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So this is all part of what's going on as the seventh trumpet sounds. And of course, the thing I'm asserting is the seventh trumpet announces the coming of the king. And that is the place where the rapture takes place. That's the place where Yeshua takes possession. And the sign that appears in heaven, I am taking as one of these uh, meanwhile passages. In other words, this is not something that kicks off immediately because it can't. Uh, Let's go ahead and read it and and you'll see why. I'm sure you all know this, but we'll see it anyway. Verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, a sign again, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head and seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So this is clearly talking about Israel and the birth of the Messiah. And since back in chapter 11, we had the seventh trumpet and the Messiah took possession of the place, this can't be sequential. So what this has to be is historical background. And so what he's doing is he's in his vision, he's seeing signs that basically show the history of Israel. And the sun and the moon... And the, tw- and the 12 stars goes back to Joseph's dream. He has the two dreams before he goes into exile. The first one is where they're binding sheaves in the field, and his brother's sheaves bow down to him. And then in the second one, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow, bow down to him. And his father says, what do you mean? Are your mother and I going to bow down to you? So, so Jacob clearly takes this, the, the sun and the moon, as being himself and Rachel. So anyway, she, she is Israel. She gives birth to the man-child, and the dragon is waiting for her to give birth with the intention of devouring the man-child. And of course, that all happened at this point 2,000 years ago. 7. Now, I don't know whether now is a time thing or a, a conversational device, you know, like, okay, now we're ready to, you know, that kind of thing. 
Yours reads and? Okay. Okay, mine's, mine reads now. So and I like better. And war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So again, obviously interpreting the sign of the dragon that occurred in the previous paragraph. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that, he has, that his time is short. Okay, question is timing here. When did this, does this, will this occur? The whole business with Israel and uh, the dragon is obviously background and historical. Because at the time John is seeing the vision, it's after the seventh trumpet, which means that the Messiah is ready to come to earth and take dominion. So this talking about his birth from the nation Israel has got to be background. So the question then becomes, the war in heaven with Michael and his angels, is that also background, or is that yet future, or is now um, at the time of the seventh trumpet, or is now some other time? I think... And, and again, doesn't mean I'm right, it's just what I think, that now in that case is after the resurrection. Because remember when Yeshua is walking on the earth, what does he say about the kingdom of God? It's near you, it's here. Doesn't he? Yeah, doesn't he say as he's walking on the earth, the kingdom of God is here, so... Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Didn't that all happen when he was walking on the earth? You understand what I'm saying? No, 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 no. I'm talking about Yeshua. Yeshua. In other words, when Yeshua was walking on the earth, salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of the Messiah were on the earth. And when he died and was taken up to heaven, then we are in what the church calls the church age, where you have salvation through the name of Yeshua. Am I saying that so it makes sense to you? So all of that started some 2,000 years ago. So what I'm taking this to be is the war in heaven with Michael and his angels against the dragon, it happened either during the three days Yeshua was in the tomb or immediately after his resurrection, is what I think. And then that fits with this whole thing being a historical vignette, which from John's point of view, because remember John is 
uh, writing this about, uh, what, 90 AD? So what this is doing is telling John and believers what the state of affairs is, even though the return of Messiah is at that point yet future, and is still yet future. Again, am I saying all that so it makes sense? You don't have to agree with me, but I just uh, want to be understood. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw saw that he had been thrown to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So, again, this fits history from the resurrection on. Because what you have from the resurrection on is the dispersal of Israel, and you have 2,000 years of satanic persecution of Israel. And, oh, by the way, where is the only place on the planet where Jews have been relatively safe? The United States. Every place else, especially, well, I say that, every place else, especially in Europe and so forth, there have been more or less continuous, I, I get a, an email once a week, which is, is, is very interesting. It's called uh, Yarzeit's. And it's a rabbinic email, and and it's it's in two parts. Part one is, for the coming week, what are the birthdays of the great Jewish sages that happened during that week? So, you know, during the next week, you you have, you know, the Nachmanides' birthday, or, you know, whatever it is. And it just, just that, and and gives a little little bit of a historical or biographical vignette. But it gives. But the second half of it is, on this day in history, what happened with respect to Jews, and the second half of it is during this week, they burned down the cathedral at X, Y, or Z, where Jews had taken refuge and killed them all. Here they declared that Jews could no longer do this. Here and, and it just goes throughout history. You know, 1300 this happened, 600 this happened, 1800 this happened. But during this week, these are the events that happened to Jews, and they're all tragic. So one of the things that that email has sort of brought home to me is the sort of the continuous low-grade persecution of Jews ever since the exile, and with punctuated by certain really high-grade persecution of Jews, a la the pogroms in Russia and the Holocaust and the Spanish Inquisition. And, you know, on and on and on. So what I'm saying is, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, but as far as I know, there has never been anything like that in the United States. Right. Short answer is I don't know the answer to that, what he means by wilderness. But all I'm suggesting to you is, as you're looking to interpret symbols, Eagles have been used of empires forever. Yeah, Roman Empire, Nazi Empire, the Russian Empire, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the United States. You know, they. In fact, Britain is one of the few that doesn't use an eagle. They use a lion. But eagles are used big times of, of empires. And all I'm saying is, the only empire that uses an eagle that I know of 
that has not persecuted Jews is the United States. And again, do with that whatever you like. It's just this, this I'm in verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandment of God and hold to the testimony of Yeshua. And he stood on the, stand, on the sand of the sea. And some of your manuscripts will say, and I stood on the sand of the sea. All right, so what we have then is the dragon, verse 7, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Well, who are the rest of the offspring of the woman? Could be Ephraim, if you take Judah as being the one who gave birth to the Messiah. It could also be Christians. What you're talking about are the persecutions under the Roman Empire, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that happened in the early church is as people became Christians and they started actually reading the Bible, they started keeping the feasts, keeping Sabbath, eating kosher, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the early church fathers' letters are saying, no, 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 don't do any of that stuff. Because it seems to have been the natural progression of events with people who actually read scriptures that that's what they started to do. And it's only when you get the organized church who is trying to make a separation between itself and Israel that you have this antinomianism rise up. The early church kept Sabbath, ate kosher, celebrated the feasts. It's only when the church makes an accommodation with empire that we start having the antinomian problem. And we'll see that when we get down to the woman who rides the beast. Okay? And what I will suggest to you is the woman who rides the beast is the corporate church who has come to an accommodation with empire. And they are now basically the church arm of the empire, if you will. And of course, you know, everybody throws rocks at the Catholic church, but that, they aren't the only ones. I'm suggesting is being said here is that the dragon becomes furious and goes after those who are the Gentile children of the woman, who are believers who keep the testimony of Yeshua and follow the commandments of God. And the business with the flood, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Well, if you go back to Daniel you wind up also with a flood. In 9.26, it talks about, uh, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. So the idea of the dragon spewing a flood out of its mouth with the intention of getting the women is goes all the way back to Daniel, which indicates to me that we've got two different things going on here in Revelation. You've got what I just described is basically Satan being thrown down to earth at the time of the crucifixion, 
and going after the church, and then you have a future time when the dragon is going to go after Israel with a flood. In other words, you've got, you've got two times in there with at least 2,000 years in between them. So back to Revelation. So now we're in 13. Now we're going to do the bestiary. So Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names, blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave, its pow- gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for they had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can be fight against it? I have no idea who this is. We'll start there. But a a couple of points to make. First off, the beast is not a person. The beast is a, for lack of a better word, an empire. Because it's got ten horns, seven heads, and so what it's got are different heads, and only one of those heads gets a mortal wound. Okay, in other words, the beast doesn't get a mortal wound. One of his heads does. The angel will go on later on in Revelation to explain that these are kingdoms. So the idea of having a man who is the beast, whose number is 666, is, that's not scriptural. Yeah, it rises out of the sea, which is symbolic of coming of a Gentile empire. The, the symbols... The beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth like the lion's mouth. Ray, I think, pointed out last time I went through this that the leopard is a symbol of Germany, the bear is a symbol of Russia, and the lion is a symbol of England. Could be. The lion is also a symbol of Babylon. The leopard is also a symbol of Greece, and the bear is also a symbol of Persia. I have no idea. You know, it's a great indoor sport to, you know, go through and, and try and figure out who these are and, and so forth. And, and you know, if you want to do that, God bless you. But just from a strict scriptural perspective, I have no idea who they are. And I don't know when this is. But if, as we go to Daniel, and let's ship over to Daniel for a minute. I'm in Daniel chapter seven, verse two, seven two. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirred up, were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, it had eagle's wings. Then I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on its feet like a two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up. On one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told to rise and devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong, 
had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. All right, so we have all of our symbols here from Revelation. You've got a lion, you've got a leopard, you've got a bear. And you have this other beast. And you know, one of the things that I'm suggesting to you is that the beast of Revelation is a composite. It's obviously an empire. Instead of having ten horns, it has seven heads and ten horns. So, you know, people want to make it the EU, the European Union, and God bless you. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, other people want to make it other different things, and God bless them too. I will figure it out. But understand that there isn't, at least according to this, going to be some dude that's going to stand up and get a head wound and is going to be the false messiah. I read this as being a political and government system, and the EU system would fit in that you have you know, rotating leadership of the whole organization, but each nation in there has some degree of autonomy. And that kind of an organization would certainly fit as being the beast. But the thing that we also see is that in, in history, human empires have risen up and tried to do the things that this beast is going to do, and it happens over and over again. And it, sometimes the empire is personified by an emperor, as in the case of Nebuchadnezzar uh, or Caesar. Sometimes it's not. Okay? Like right now, what's going on in the United States is not personified by anybody. It's a bureaucratic system. And you have these bureaucrats that are basically running amok and you know, giving everybody numbers and herding them around like cattle and, and so forth. So it doesn't have to be an individual, if you will. Chapter 13, verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? One other thing that I would... I heard something very interesting, and it was just one of these phrases that went by. In the United States, the idea of democracy has become an idol. In other words, everything is justified and excused through democracy. Going to war to put democracy here, we're going to war to put democracy there. Well, you know, the people voted for this, therefore we're going to do it no matter what. And democracy has in fact become an idol. It's become something that's worshipped. Verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth, there were earth dwellers again, all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name is not has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay, so what it's saying here is the, the earth dwellers, and, and 
Remember, we've talked about the earth dwellers in contradistinction to believers throughout the, the book of Revelation. It's this phrase, earth dwellers, and they're always against the people of God. And here what it says is that earth dwellers are those who do not have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And again, they will worship it. And what I'm suggesting they are worshiping is an idea. So you have, for example, born-again communists who worship the idea of communist socialist state. You have born-again socialists, of whom we have quite a few, who worship the idea of an all-powerful utopian socialist state. Okay? So this doesn't have to be an individual. In fact, I don't think it is. So verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. I don't know what the rhyme is there. I don't, you know, if anyone is to be taken captive, I have no idea what that means. Uh, but the call for the endurance and faith of the saints indicates to me that the saints are going to be here and the saints are going to live through this and the, the saints are expected to persevere and endure. And again, this is just one of those little things that speaks against the idea of a rapture. Because it doesn't say you're going to be taken out of here, it says you're going to, you're to endure through it. You can interpret the rest of verse 10 as some of you are going to be taken captive and some of you are going to be slain. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So this second beast, which of course we know is the false prophet, notice that it rises out of the earth as opposed to out of the sea. And again, if the symbology is consistent, and I have no reason to think it's not, that means that the beast is a creature of the Gentile nations. The false prophet is a Hebrew. And we have no shortage of apostate Hebrews. Just look at somebody like Lenin. A great deal of the communist intelligentsia in Russia was Jewish. And they were true believers. They believed in the idea of a socialist utopian state, a communist state. And they worked very hard to achieve it. So the idea of having an apostate Hebrew who becomes the false prophet is again lots and lots of historical precedent for that. Verse 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. And again, the way this is written, it would lead you to believe that the first beast has got just one head and that one head was the one that was shot and was healed. But the previous paragraph indicates that it was simply one of his heads that was wounded. And so the mortal wound here is on one of his heads, not to the beast itself. Now the other thing about it is, is, is this false prophet. His job 
is going to be to convince the people of the world that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. And one of the things that's going to happen as we go forward is as government starts to mark its people, you are going to have religious authorities and religious leaders standing up there on CNN and CBS and ABC and any place else, you know, the religious left will stand up and say, oh, no, 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 that's not the, oh, no, that's not the work. And that will, that will be his pri one of his primary functions as a false prophet is to reassure those who know something about the book of Revelation that whatever the incarnation of the mark happens to be, it, uh, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Okay? Verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, so what he's going to do is lead them into idolatry. And, of course, we have clear back in Deuteronomy, God gives you a test for how to deal with someone who is able to do signs and wonders. Uh, Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and I would gently suggest that calling down fire from heaven would qualify, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. In other words, he can really, really do it. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, then you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So what I'm suggesting to you is God, being as highly smarter than we are, has prepositioned for you the answer because what is this guy going to do? Yeah, and verse 14, back in Revelation 13. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beat, it deceives those who dwell on the earth the earth dwellers again, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And he was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So his, his job is basically to lead the world, earth dwellers, into idolatry. And part of that process is, is taking the mark. Did you ask something over there, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, have to play out. I certainly do. I'm glad you're asked. Where have we seen that before? Where have we seen a false prophet in the presence of a beast do signs and wonders with the intention of leading people astray? Uh, Balaam is a good choice. I would gently suggest that it's Pharaoh's magicians. Because during the Exodus, when Moses comes in to go head-to-head -head with Pharaoh, Pharaoh brings in his own magicians. And in the presence of Pharaoh, they do signs and wonders with the purpose of showing that Moses is, in fact, no different from anybody else. That's the object of the exercise, right? 
we got two marks going on because remember we've already had somebody marked. Who's been marked? The 144,000. Yeah, see God has marked his own, the 144,000. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit with the intention of confusing people. So anyway, what I'm suggesting to you here is the second beast has got a long and illustrious history throughout Scripture. As someone who can legitimately do signs and wonders and who serves the world system, who serves the empire, who serves Pharaoh, who serves Nebuchadnezzar, who serves Caesar, who serves whomever. So the secular powers, if you will, always, always, always have their tame spiritual people. Call them false prophets, call them wizards, call them whatever you want, but they're, they're always there. Uh, who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And again, we've seen that before. Where have we seen that before? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sets up the, the, the tower and it's decreed that anybody who doesn't fall down and worship the tower when the music, when the band plays will be slain. So again, there's a long history of this kind of behavior. And this, this is nothing new. It is simply the last instance. It is otherwise not especially new. Verse 16. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and its number is 666. There are some manuscripts that have 616. And again, there is a long and illustrious history of this, Empires regard their people as property. In other words, you belong to me. And when you have movable livestock that belongs to you, what do you do with it? You brand it. Right? And the Romans did it. You had to uh, give a sacrifice to Caesar. And toward the later years of the empire, you had a little book. When you, you would once a year go into a, any temple, didn't matter what temple you went to, and you'd offer a pinch of, seat of um, incense to Caesar, and the priest there would basically stamp your book and to indicate that you've made the sacrifice. Why do you suppose they tattooed the Jews in Nazi Germany? But not only that, they were asserting ownership. Let me read 17 again. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. That speaks to me of digital encoding. Okay. It's one of the things about computers is basically everything can be represented as numbers. When you, when you write computer code, which I do, you, you put a, a value in a memory location that value is just a series of ones and zeros. What it means is determined by how you retrieve it. So if you go there and say, bring me that back, and oh, by the way, it's a number, what it will do is then make a 
make a number of it. If you say, bring that back to me, and oh, by the way, it's a string of characters, what it'll do is take those numbers and convert them into a character string according to some code. The computer doesn't know what's there. The operating system has to tell it what the meaning of that is. So the idea here of either the name of the beast or the number of its name is interchangeable. Chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, now let's go back to where the beast was writing stuff down. Not be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Okay, so the beast intends to mark you on the right hand or the forehead. God will mark his on their foreheads. Okay. And we see that back in Ezekiel where you have the guy going through with the inkhorn and marking the people of God on their forehead. So the destroying angel who follows through will know who to avoid. Chapter 14. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a loud thunder the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and for the Lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Okay, what I think these people are. First off, notice that they are following the Lamb. So they are, they are God's people. I've said before that 144,000 is 1,000 pairs to each of the 72 original biblical nations. And there are 70 nations, if you read the Texas Receptus, if you read the Septuagint, there are 72. And much of the New Testament stuff comes out of the Septuagint. You know, when Yeshua quotes the scriptures and stuff, a lot of it comes out of the Septuagint. So the idea of 144,000 then breaks down to 1,000 pairs, because they go two by two, 1,000 pairs per nation. And it is my belief that it's their job to basically act like Moses at the Exodus. They're to go to the 70 nations and they are to be fishers of men. They are to be the ones who are to find all of God's people wherever they are scattered throughout the earth and round them up and get them to safety so that as the wrath of God starts to fall, they are protected just as they were during the Exodus. And what I see here... On Mount Zion stands the Lamb. Remember we said that at the seventh trumpet he comes down and he takes dominion over the place. So what, it, what we're doing here is we're having a staff meeting. Uh, Yeshua and his 144,000 sub-shepherds. And I don't know at this point whether they've got people rounded up or not. I just don't know the answer to that. But notice that they are the first fruits. Okay, in verse 4, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb. 
So what that tells me with first fruits is that there is a whole bunch of other ones who are yet to be redeemed. Uh huh. No, 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 no. These are not raised from the dead. No, I know that. Yeshua. All right, let's get first fruits sorted out. Yeshua is first fruits of the resurrection. These guys are first fruits of the redeemed. And so I don't see these people as being resurrected. I see these people as being alive and walking around with skin on and everything. But yes, they're both first fruits. Yeshua is first fruits of the resurrection. These guys are first fruits of the redeemed. Now, we also talked last time that at the seventh trumpet is the resurrection. Because we, you know, we went back to Corinthians and Paul says, you know, at the last trumpet, we made the argument last time that the resurrection will occur at the seventh trumpet. So Yeshua has got all these people raised from the dead, but the 144,000 were sealed way earlier. So they've been walking up to and fro on the earth, collecting people, I think, and getting them out of the way and getting them into a safe place and protecting them. And then the business with the beast, beast is coming up to basically counterfeit that. Would somebody like closing prayer? Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.